0: This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, we introduce you to Brett Froude, the new commissioner of the NLL. Plus, we hear from Mike Poulin, who is hanging up the goalie pads and joining the Swarm front office. NLL free agency won't start till the 6th and the road to the Canadian titles continues. All that and more on OTCB. My name is Teddy Jenner, and welcome back for another year of National Lacrosse League action. Matthews,
1: quick stick. What? What?
0: Welcome back to another edition of the off the crossbar podcast here on the lacrosse flash podcast network, Spotify, Apple, iTunes, wherever you get your music. Thank you for tuning in here to the show. My name is Teddy Jenner. You can find me on Twitter at Teddy Jenner. His name is Pat Gregoire. You can find him on Twitter at Pete Greggy. The show is at OTCB underscore podcast. You can also find us on Instagram, At OTCB Podcast. Um, Unfortunately, even though I said he is Pat Gregoire, because we always like you to interact with both of us. uh, No Patty this week. Uh, He is busy running the cool bet empire. Uh, So he's got the week off. He's just busy uh, doing a lot of things. But we are also busy here this week on the show is it was a very busy news day for the NLL. As we talked last week, monday was supposed to be the start of nll free agency well that got pushed back to the sixth mostly unbelievably so due to the unstableness of the cba and the fact that we still don't have a new one and there are different versions of conversations out there. There are people who are saying they are miles apart. There are people who are saying they're closer than maybe ever to having a truly agreed upon CBA. And that was one of the reasons that we still haven't seen and still hadn't seen leading up to Monday. A lot of people signed. It's because there was just so much unknown about what was happening, happening with the CBA that players just didn't want to sign a contract. And for those younger players that did sign multiple year deals, unfortunately, it could be a case of them just not knowing that they were in a position to maybe just kind of wait. Because if a new CBA comes around and their deal is signed on these sort of old parameters of the old CBA, then they could be losing out. And so that's why you saw a lot of the older veterans still unsigned because they just didn't know what was happening with the CBA. But when you hear the NLL say that we're going to push it back to the 6th, maybe that leaves a glimmer of hope that something could be done before the 6th in the next couple of days here to get a deal done so that, and this is the other big news, new commissioner Brett Frued can really hit the ground running on a clean slate, and he doesn't have to come into this job, and the first thing that's on his desk is a big memo note that says, fix the CBA, because no one wants to walk into that. That could be the toughest way to walk into a brand-new job is a post-it note on your desk saying, there's an issue between the league and the players. We need your help. Wouldn't it be awesome if you showed up to work on day two or day three and there's the memo note that says, please sign here. That would be a dream for everybody. So as of yet, still no CBA. Free agency will now start on Saturday. August 6th so when we speak next week we could have a landfall of player news and new signings and new teams so we will talk more about that next week and hopefully we'll have maybe a CBA to talk about next week but we will talk to the brand new commissioner Brett Fruit this kind of came out of nowhere and I hadn't talked to matt hutchings ceo of cronky sports and sort of the the head of the board of directors we hadn't chatted in a while and there was no real rumblings of this coming to pass and in years past when when nick sikevich was being hired um the rumor mills started churning and news started getting out there. They were getting closer and closer and they had finalized their list and they had, you know, a short list of three or four people. This time there was absolutely nothing. And that is a huge kudos to everybody behind the scenes working that kept this as in-house as possible. And when the league sent out the press release Monday that on Tuesday, there was going to be a press conference. A lot of people were wondering what it was going to be. It was really only going to be one of two things. It was, there is a new CBA signed or there's a new commissioner. And Brett Frude is your new commissioner. He comes from the Stuart Haas racing team in NASCAR where he helped lead them to multiple championships. He is a former lacrosse player, went to Brown, grew up just west of Syracuse, New York. He's an upstate guy, so he knows the sport. He knows the game. He has an incredible sports business background and has been helping run one of the most successful NASCAR teams in recent memory. So we will talk... the new commissioner in a little bit we'll also talk to mike poolen who officially announced his retirement from the national lacrosse league and one of the greats humans players gentlemen of our sport Uh, he's been a longtime friend of the show he's come on pretty much once a year for the last five or six years and anytime we talk with Pooley is an outstanding conversation, and this time, uh, no exception. Uh, we go deep into talking about a lot of things. Um, you know, which city was the hardest to leave? From when he went from, you know, Buffalo to Toronto before his career really even started. Toronto to Boston in an expansion draft. Boston to Calgary, and then Calgary to Georgia as a free agent. Which move was the hardest to make? Which move was the hardest to swallow? Which championship is the most memorable? And who is the best at the kangaroo court? So many things, so many topics, and a great conversation with Mike Poolen. Before we get to the Commissioner Brett Fruit, uh, update on the road to the national championships up here in Canada. Uh, Whitby has won the Ontario Junior League. They beat the Beaches in two games. The Beaches are also in uh, as both teams made it to the OJ final. We're going to automatically be put into the Minto Cup as Ontario got two bids, a quote-unquote host team, which will now be the Beaches, and the champion, which will be Whitby. Whitby is a machine, my man. We talked about it last week with Matthew Carrick about, you know, how good this team was and how deep this team was. And maybe we didn't give them enough credit. Maybe we shone too much light on Orangeville in that series. And I know Ryan McMichael jumped all over us. You know, what about this guy? And what about this guy? And what about this? We weren't excluding people. We were just focusing on one group of people. And those were the, you know, the three young stars of the Orangeville Northmen. Well, you can't not be impressed with what the group of young men who are Whitby Warriors and Ontario junior champions and what they have done and what Sean Williams has done with that group. It is no short nothing short of incredible what that team has accomplished this year. And when you look just at stats alone, and you see what Brock Haley and Adam Poitras did this year, it is incredible. In 10 games, they put up 109 points combined. Brock Haley had, what, 74 goals in the regular season, put up another 31 in 10 playoff games. Parker Pfeiffer has been outstanding for them in a supporting role. If you just watch that team, they play an ultra-aggressive defense, more aggressive than any defense I've really seen. They really extend out, they really put pressure on you, and they really make you play the perfect game. And if you turn the ball over and you're not making smart decisions, uh, they're going to make you cough it up. And they're going to go the other way and bury it down your throat. And it's no easy task stopping that offense. But conversely, it's no easy task getting to their goaltenders. Whether it be Liam Wright or Caleb Martin. You know, in in game two, I believe Liam Wright started. But Caleb Martin came in once beaches kind of clawed their way back in that game. And Caleb Martin had to hold the fort. And when you can have two 1A goaltenders and you can rely on either guy, that is a huge boost to any team, no matter who you're playing, under what circumstances. So congratulations to Whippy, Congratulations, Congratulations to Sean Williams and his staff for winning the ontario junior league as they played a best two of three and people may be wondering well how come they're only playing two of three well as mentioned they both get in so no real sense beating the crap out of each other for seven games and it also allows them to take a break leading up to the world under 21s and this is where being the host province they get a bit of an advantage. Now, some may say it's a disadvantage having to be off from now, which is the fourth as we record this, all the way to the 22nd. so just shy of three weeks, they won't have played a game. Now, is that a hindrance or is it a boon? Because the Mountaineers and Miners and Shamrocks and Thunder and the RML and BCJ respectively, they're going seven, and their series could go f- the especially the Shamrocks Thunder series could go for another two and a half weeks. And unfortunately for the Shamrocks, they're going to lose Casey Wilson, Noah Manning, and Trent DeChico, three of their best offensive players. And I know people are calling it the Ontario Break. It's not really a break. They just chose in their right to have their series be just three games and get it over and done with and not have to play while a number of their players are away in Limerick, Ireland. Is it a competitive advantage? Maybe. But would you rather your team continue to battle and earn their spot Or would you rather your team coast through and not have to play for three weeks and then go into a hellacious, possibly eight, nine games in six, seven, eight, nine days? So it's a bit of up and down. Who knows what the better route is? Yes, you could be rested and healthy, but you could also be rusty. You could be hurt and banged up, but you could also be sharp and clicking on all cylinders. So we'll keep you updated uh, on those. Mountain Mountaineers and Miners play game two tonight on Thursday. Shamrocks and Thunder play game three and game four this weekend. So when we speak again next weekend, uh, we might be closer to filling out the entire Minto Cup roster. We won't quite get there, I don't think. It'll be tough um, for either of those series to end by next week. And then out in the WLA, just complete madness. A few weeks ago, you probably would have thought Victoria, Coquitlam, and Naimo were locked into one, two, three. The Langley Thunder went four straight down the road and find themselves now in first place in the West. Pretty sure it's locked up. But we, right now, as of Thursday morning, have a three-way tie for first. Victorian and I'm on Coquitlam. Sorry, Victorian and I'm on Langley. Now, Coquitlam can join that party if they win their game, their last regular season game tonight. And how crazy is it going to be if we have a four-way tie? It's Adnax and Bellies tonight at Queens Park. If the Adnax win it, Victoria, Nanaimo, Langley, and Coquitlam are all 12-6. and six. And I believe, if memory serves correct, Victoria has lost the season series to all three of those teams. And Victoria's six losses came against all three of those teams. And so Victoria, who really had everything in their favor to get first overall, kind of stumbled down the stretch and could find themselves in fourth when this is all over and having to face the talented and uber deep rostered Langley Thunder, who they just lost back-to-back games to. So we'll know more tonight after the Adonis-Samonville's game, but if the Adonis win that game, I think they take third, Nanaimo takes second, Langley's first, Victoria's fourth. But that is for the um, computer databases to figure out all the ins and outs. Uh, I am not going to try and figure that out. It is not an easy solution. Obviously, head-to-head points, head-to-head, goals for and against is sort of the three criteria. Um, But yeah, I believe Victoria loses the tie break to all three of those teams. The only one they might not lose to is, okay, they don't lose it to the Adnax. They beat the Adnax in two of three. So they will probably finish third, most likely, which then would bring up an Island Darby semifinal. And how awesome would that be? have Victoria and Nanaimo battling back and forth in a best-of-five or a best-of-seven. And then you have Langley and Coquitlam going back and forth in a best-of-five or best-of-seven. It will be outstanding in the WLA playoffs. And then out East, in major series lacrosse, four teams that battled through the playoff, or the regular season, are battling through the playoffs. Six Nations, Peterborough finished 1-2. Brooklyn-Coburg finished 3-4. The Peterborough series is tied at one, and Six Nations beat Coburg last night as Audie Stotts dropped a six-pack, including the game winner. And you can find most of those games online uh, streamed through Rogers. Obviously, the Ontario Junior League games were streamed via YouTube. Um that's about it. Nothing else is really being streamed right now. Well, the WLA is being streamed on Playful Screen. You can watch those games. So lots of lacrosse still to be played here up in Canada. And of course, the PLO continues to roll along down the United States. And they are. Is this the Seattle weekend? Where are we? They were just in Dallas. I think this is the Seattle weekend, which will probably have a ton of Canadians crossing the border, making the trek down about an hour and a half or so just south of Seattle. I know my brother and his family are going down; they're all super pumped to check it out. I'm sure Mackenzie's going to be fanboying all over Josh Burn all weekend. So, Burner, if you're listening. Uh, watch out for the stalker mckenzie but still lots of lacrosse going on and we have a lot of lacrosse to talk about here still but the big news of the week coming from the Stuart haas racing team a proud two-time ivy league champion with brown where he was also the captain he is now the captain of the ship His name is Brett Fruitt, and he's right here on the Off the Crossbar podcast. He is the new boss of the NLL, and he comes from an incredible background of not just lacrosse, but NASCAR as well. He is Brett Fruitt. Brett, how are you, my friend?
1: I'm doing well. How are you today?
0: Uh, I I am awesome. Uh, It has been a busy week for you, I'm sure, but uh, we got to get one question out of the way early. Are you an Edmonton Messier guy or a New York Messier guy?
1: Well, I, I was I was a Messier from the beginning, but I'm a New York Rangers guy. Mm. So my, mm. my true fandom with him uh certainly gained momentum when he was wearing the, the blues.
0: Yeah, fair enough. Um so you were were you there when they won the cup? Were you along with the parade and everything like that?
1: I'll be honest with you, I was watching it from uh London. I was on so a trip crazy. there. So uh You know, it was, it was, I had to, I had to find time, but yeah, it was, that was a special, special time in hockey for sure against a, uh, some really good teams and, and certainly the, the Vancouver team,
0: um, back in 94 was impressive, right? Mm -hmm. Indeed, indeed, indeed. Um, all right, let's get into the lax sort of thing, uh, of the podcast. Um, you're, you're an upstate guy. You, you grew up just West of Syracuse. What was your first sort of introduction to the lacrosse world?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, we, it's, it's funny, my wife dug up some, uh, some pictures and I'm probably about four years old with, with my stick, um, old wooden stick from my dad's days at Cortland State. So it started early, um, thankfully had a, had a little brother. So we were, we were definitely the kids that were out in the yard every single day, lots of broken windows, um, lots of wall ball. And, uh, if you, if you've been to upstate New York, which, which I know you have, uh, Mm -hmm. spent, spent some of your career there. Um, it's, it's a, it's a good time to be outside and, and there's not much more to do than play lacrosse. It's, it's certainly in the DNA.
0: Were you, were you like a a Syracuse orange fan? Did you, were you going to those games back in the day?
1: Never missed a game. Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. That was a family affair. And, um, you know, growing up watching certainly the Gates and and Marichek and Greg Burns and um, McCabe and all the way through. Yeah, it was it was fun times going to the games, watching you know eighteen thousand people there watching a college lacrosse game. So it certainly hooked us pretty early.
0: Uh, did you ever go to a Syracuse Smash game?
1: I didn't because it was uh pro- it was not during my time. Once I left, I haven't really been back since I've oh, really? been eighteen. You know and couple times during the winter would would come and watch some minor league hockey games with my dad but haven't ultimately spent too much time back in upstate since then
0: mm-hmm. um so w- when this process started um how did it get started and now actually i want to back up um i remember when when the league was going after nick sekevich uh, there was rumors that there was a, a someone from nascar that was being interviewed were you part of that process four or five years ago or is this kind of the first touch you've had
1: this is the fir- first touch for sure. Okay.
0: okay. And yeah. And, and how familiar were you with the NLL and, and the box game uh, when these discussions started?
1: Yeah, I consumed it, but but I'd say from a casual standpoint, I've I've obviously have a lot of field in my background, but uh, watched the NLL. Um, yeah. I grew up, you know, I've, I've I've probably a couple times over the winters coming home, probably seen you play. Um, back in the early 2000s. But, yeah. um, you know, obviously, Rochester um, back in, in the late 90s, I, I remember going to those games and, and coming home from college. And geez, there's 18, 19. That place was packed. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was good. It actually reminded me a lot of watching that Colorado Buffalo series, just kind of the rabidness of, of the fanship. So, you know, I've, I've been around box, but, but certainly, um, have a lot to learn really excited about that piece of it because of, of my experience, at least my most recent experiences on the, on the field side. So, um, you know, consumed it, but, but I'd say, um, really looking forward to be the avid
0: (laughs) and, and sort of once you got your, your teeth into the NLL, watching the NLL finals, as this process was going on, were you just instantly hooked?
1: Yeah, you know, I, so even before this process, I, I watched it with the kids yeah. and, and just, I, I love the physicality of it and, and the speed and the, you know, it's electric, um, from, from a fan standpoint, it's edge of your seat. It never stops. So I, I think the the playoffs did a phenomenal job, obviously of highlighting what the league is and, and can continue to be, um with with just the competitiveness it wasn't just it wasn't just certainly the finals the entire mm-hmm. playoffs were were phenomenal tight games um some some angry players some physicality um the compete level in in my eyes was was at an all-time high so those are the things we need to continue to highlight and and obviously um, it's what you've been helping do for years. And how do we continue to, to catapult it into to a more um, more viewers over time?
0: I know Kurt Stiers has some relations with Tony Stewart, but how did you sort of come onto the radar of the NLL selection committee?
1: Yeah. So, you know, as you know, well, in the sports world, it's relationships and, and friendships over time. And, and I've, I have a relationship with a number of folks at CAA. Mm-hmm. um, just in prior lives. And, and they were in charge of the search, uh, certainly the, the search process. So mm-hmm. got a call, um, from a good friend of mine at CAA and, and said, Hey, I know you, you haven't been looking for a job for almost two decades and, uh, haven't called you many times that there were potential fits, but this one I think might perk your interest. And, uh, I was on my way to actually coach my son's high school game, when he called getting ready to get on a old school, high school school bus um, to to head and do it to an away game. And um, so I spoke to him for about two minutes. And uh, I can tell you, I, I didn't think much about that game on the way there. It was like, wow, th- this could be it. Mm-hmm. And I uh, called him as soon as we got home and, and the process started.
0: And was it a, an arduous, tough process or was it sort of fairly relaxed and easygoing?
1: Yeah, you know, obviously, the the committee was really focused um, on, I think, finding the best candidate for the future. And, and I know that there were a number of folks that they interviewed, it was it was exhaustive. And, as you know, the ownership group is a sophisticated one, um, a galvanized one, and, and ones that have great experience in professional sports. So it, it was, you know, I'd say certainly a an arduous process. That being said, for me, Um, I wouldn't say a stressful one, which when I think about interviews, it it typically is stress. But I think when you're so passionate about something and excited, it's really easy to have authentic conversations and really dig into the details and and hopefully kind of, uh, you know, mitigate that learning curve right from the beginning. So hopefully during that process, I was able to highlight those passions and and, you know, how much lacrosse has meant to me. Um, and will continue to mean to me. So it was, in my eyes, a really fun process, meeting the owners, uh, a number of them, or, or at least their fiduciaries, and and spending quality time asking questions, allowing them to ask questions. And I, and I felt it was an exhaustive process, but uh, for me, an energizing one and, and one that I enjoyed.
0: When you look at the NLL and NASCAR, um, they're they're sort of apples and oranges, but as team oriented sports and entities they are fairly familiar what what likes or what similarities and differences do you see that you can kind of build off of
1: yeah you know I'm similar to yourself you know I'm I grew up being an athlete and loved being around sports loved being around teammates um, really enjoy competing and you know, I found all those things in motorsports. While I didn't grow up a race fan, um, having the ability to, with with a, with a group of really committed folks, working all week and then and then being able to go compete on the weekend and perform or not perform, and and then figure out how to get better um, the next day and the next day and the next day, that was that was a really fun experience for me. Um, obviously, holistically, we were, you know, tasked with doing a lot of things and, and whether it be working with our corporate partners to working with the industry and, and NASCAR itself and growing the fan base and putting people in the stands and how do we get TV ratings higher? Um, how do we make the product better? You know, the, the, all those universal questions that I think most professional sports have to answer. So I, I think honestly, it, well, yes, the sport it's, the sports itself, maybe apples and oranges, At the end of the day, the philosophies and what we're trying to achieve are pretty similar. Um, It is put the best product out there we we possibly can. It's grow our fans, um, you know, take our casuals to AVIDs, um, turn our AVIDs into folks that are out there engaging in an impactful way and creating more fans, highlighting our great sport in as many distribution points as we can. And then, you know, I, for, for me, while I'm working, going away from the actual team side to the, to the league side, to me, it's still, I still can compete, right. Mm-hmm. There's still wins on the table. Um, it's just, we're just looking at them differently. And, you know, if we can grow in all these different paradigms, then we're going to compete hard and try to do that. So I'm excited for uh, certainly the, the transition, but, but ultimately uh, I think we'll be doing a lot of the same things.
0: It's technically really only day two for you, but do you have a, a priority list? Yeah. So
1: actually day one is supposed to be September first.
0: Okay. Uh, so we're so
1: A D. <laughs> but we are we are multitasking right now. Yeah. Um, you know, it's hard, right. I'm so excited. So obviously the uh the it's it's already started to your mm. point. Um, so I am on on day two and and working multiple jobs right now, which which is which is okay, and and we're used to doing that. But you know, from a priority standpoint, I don't know that you know we certainly don't have a strategy yet. But I'd say it's it's really important for me to to build authentic and meaningful relationships with with all the constituents. But to start with, I'd say the players and and the ownership groups. So I've I've had some really good conversations with both um, so far, but uh, I see this I'd say this first tranche of time is is going to be committed to to facilitating those relationships and and obviously that's going to take time to to foster those in a meaningful way but but I want to start there for sure and and then we'll move on to more strategic endeavors but but I'd say that's priority number one.
0: Yeah, and obviously the the communications with the PLPA are are imperative, especially with everything going on in the CBA. Obviously, I'm sure you can't probably update us on anything, but when you look at a league that needs to continue the forward momentum, how important is it for you to get this CBA done and and kind of behind you?
1: Yeah, I, it, obviously it is because we're we're coming off of just a spectacular season and, and playoffs. So you want to ride that momentum with, without too many challenges, right? And jump right in. I know the, you know, I've been getting a few updates from the committee and, and have had the the pleasure of, of talking to a, a few of the players and including Zach and um, the, it's, it's imperative, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my understanding is it's it's things are going well and, and a, a resolution will be imminent, um, but certainly want that to, to happen as quickly as possible so we can start, you know, jump starting all these other initiatives.
0: What's the toughest challenge you think the NLL has uh, to elevate to the next tier of pro sports?
1: You know, I, I don't know that it's a, the NLL is an anomaly. It's, it's, just, it's just grabbing the eyeballs, right? It's, it's how do we maximize that consumption and it's tough. There's so many things out there um, and, and life has changed considerably over the, the last decade, how people are consuming things and on the go and looking at phones and less linear consumption. So for us and, and a lot of others, but let's focus on, on the task at hand. It really is, I think it starts with, with that in venue Um, experience and, you know, whether we're in, you know, Scotiabank center to, you know, Nassau Coliseum, um, and everywhere in between, how do we, how do we captivate the audience and then utilize those fans there to help, to help propagate our message. Um, but, but ultimately it's the eyeballs. And at the end of the day, I'll say one thing and I said it, I think you heard me probably the last time, um, we spoke earlier in the week with the group is we do not have a product issue. And a lot of sports out there, in my opinion, um, are are not that easy to watch. You know, and I won't throw any sports under the bus, but you throw it on and, you know, it's like, eh, I don't know if I can watch two hours of this. I don't know if I can watch 20 minutes of this. And um, I'd say this is a big part of why you know, I, I certainly took this job and am excited, so excited about the potential. Is the the product is unbelievable? Um, we there, there's not much fixing going on there, right? We've got unbelievable lacrosse players out there, the best in the world, um, and they're getting it done. And you, you watch the fans that are there, and it's 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 pretty electric. So I, I'm excited about that. Now it's just how do we get it? I, I, the challenge, obviously, with just consumption rates and so much out there for people to do is how do we have the masses watching our product?
0: And, and so that falls into the importance of a, you know, a TSN ESPN deal. Obviously the NLL signed a brand new one with TSN for three years last year, and they got back on with ESPN this year. Um, How important is it to keep those relationships forward? Obviously, like you said, you know, people are less linear, more digital these days, but those entities have digital ways of watching. So how important is it to keep those relationships going?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, they've got that footprint both from a streaming and then a linear standpoint. I, you know, I, I probably failed when I was talking about the the authentic relationships and the beginning of the collaboration with with players and and the teams. Uh, I'll throw our broadcast partners in there because because uh, obviously that's of utmost importance really need to dig in and understand those deals and how we can leverage them in in even more meaningful ways, and then working with them to amplify. So, you know, I'll say that that one experience I've had in NASCAR, which has been a phenomenal one, is with our broadcast partners. So both, you know, Fox and NBC, previously ESPN in that domain, and, and what all of them have done and continue to do well is, amplify and whether it's shoulder programming, um, content, whatever it may be that is that's surrounding those, whether it's the game of the weeks, whether, whether it's just our, our, our core schedule, it's all the other little things we need to be doing to captivate the audience and get them to tune in when it, when it's time to go. So uh, I'm looking forward to those conversations and then, you know, While we certainly want to continue to build those relationships with TSN and ESPN, we we want to evolve and continue to understand um, the media landscape and every potential distribution point possible that we can get eyeballs on our game.
0: Uh, The PLL also hopped on the ESPN train this year. Um, Is is there an importance for you to, to continue to build a relationship with Paul and Mike Rabel in the PLL?
1: Yeah, you know, I'm I'm a big fan of the PLL and have a ton of respect and admiration for Mike and Paul and their collective ownership group. Um, for, for me, how can't we embrace individuals and groups that are growing the game? Um, with that being said, we see what the PLL is, is doing specific for the field game, but our focus right now needs to be on the indoor and the NLL um, and engaging that fan base. We've got all the history Um, and and as we talked about strong ownership and great business partners and, and, and get engaged fan base. So, so how do we, how do we amplify what we have? But, you know, I, I've, I am a, am a fan of the PLL. I look forward to figuring out synergies with them and ways to, to work with them and, and certainly don't see it as a, a competitive framework. It's, it's how do we all grow together and, and find those, those ways to, to get it done together.
0: I saw Andy Towers reach out to you on, on Twitter and, and send you a congratulations, messages as, as being brown guys. Um how much do you know of Andy and his energy that he brings to to the game?
1: Yeah, love AT. Um, <laughs> <I'm gonna laughs> no, no, for me. I know his energy firsthand. So so my um my freshman year of college, AT was our one of our coaches with, Oh uh, crazy. Yeah. So I remember distinctly, um, freshman year against Dartmouth. It was our last game. We needed to win to, to seal the Ivy league championship. And I was fortunate enough to, and I say fortunate enough, and then I'll tell you the unfortunate part, but fortunate enough to score a goal, um, fourth quarter goal that, that put us ahead. Unfortunate enough to, to uh, see Andy on the sideline was the, the first guy that greeted me and, oh. I, I think I was concussed for maybe two, <laughs> two weeks after that yeah. one. Um, yeah. So he's so I, I so I, I'm a chaos fan um, yeah. because of at. So his his pregame speeches and everything he brings to this game is um, I, I've seen it firsthand. You got to love him. And uh, for 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 those that just see him as a coach right now, he, I mean he he's one of the greatest collegiate players ever. Like, you know, he was the uh, you know, one of the the first true um, you know, I, I won't even say two way middies. He was an all-way middy because he faced off, he played defense, he scored it well, you know, six foot five, two twenty beast. So um, love AT and um and and it was I, I I was thankful. Um he he actually sent me a nice note. Um Aside from whatever was on social media, so mm-hmm. excited to reconnect with with a lot of old friends and and throughout the the last many years in
0: the sport, including Oliver Marty. Were you guys teammates, or was he before or after you at Brown?
1: So yeah, Oliver was right before me, but I took his number. <laughs> um, I, I didn't fulfill the prophecy that probably should have come with it, but uh, yeah. So Oliver was was one of the all time greats at Brown and wore the number 11. So, um, I'm, I'm not sure how I ended up with it after, after <laughs> the accolades that that he certainly put up, but yeah, he was right before me.
0: Um, all right. And back to the task at hand, obviously Nick Sakevich had a, a grandiose plan of expansion where he talked, he wanted to get to 30 teams and all this. And I, uh, and I'm of the liking of many people that we need to kind of find some stability in the teams that we have now. And you mentioned that on Tuesday. Um, is expansion a priority, or, or or are you still of the mind let's let's get our teams right now that we have all stable on the same footing before we go crazy?
1: Yeah, hundred percent. It's um, we need you know we we've got a few, we've got quite a few new teams right, mm-hmm. and we've got to first replicate that environment that we saw at Bandit Land across the league, and we've got a lot of new markets that we we're still introducing the sport to at least the, the indoor side. So, you know, from, from the Dallas's and the, the San Diego's of the world, it's, it's how do we pack those places with 15,000 people and, and that energy. And, um, and I think it's, it's, it's going to be all of us working together and collaborating and taking advantage of best practices, but relative to expansion, I know there's, there's a lot of folks looking at teams um, looking at owning teams, excuse me, and there, there's no shortage of that. But from, from my perspective, at least sitting in here day one, two, it's really how do we service our existing teams? How do we grow those entities and the enterprise value of those? And it's not to say at some point that it may make sense to put more teams in the league. And I, we don't know what that number is. And quite, quite honestly, I'm not really concerned with it now. Um, we've got a season ahead of us that we've got to maximize and and we've got to leverage all, all of our teams and in, in working together and in, in respect to growing the game. So I'd say expansion, if, if you were to ask me priority wise, would would certainly not be at the, the top of the list for me right now.
0: We kind of talked about, you know, day one, day two, but day one is technically September 1st, but what, what's your plan of action as the new commissioner?
1: Yeah. So, again it's 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 to do a lot of traveling um or or a lot of zoom calls with the the key folks the key constituents the ownership groups the fiduciaries for those teams Mm -hmm. coaches players i mean you asked me just about at the beginning about box experience you know i've consumed it but it's a different game i want to know the the nuances of it i'd honestly love to you know Get up to get up somewhere like Toronto um, and spend the day with the team and 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 throw throw a jersey on and a helmet and and get in there a little bit and just interact. Um, and, and I'm excited about that and and you know that's authentic for me. Mm. So I, I'd say that that's certainly one. And then next is really to understand our assets fully. What do we have as a league? We talked about the TV deals. What do they exactly look like? Um, What are the, how do the, what are the rights um, and how could we potentially utilize it? What are all the team assets that we have at our, at our disposal? And then collectively, who are our fans? You know, I know we've got a lot of great fans. Who are they Um, demographically? Why are they consuming our sport? How do they perceive it and how we may perceive it, how you and I may perceive the NLL may be different than the fans. And it's important. We know, um, how they look at us and continue to foster that brand identity. And and then ultimately that's going to help us on the commercial side and really cultivating that ecosystem in, in an impactful way and, and finding partners out there um, that really can resonate with our fans and build authentic connections for sure. And I know people um, will say, well, how does that help our sport? How does, how does corporate partners help our sport? Well, um, Obviously, the simple answer there is it, it brings in revenue and enhances our enterprise value, um, which will which will help the majority of the constituents. And then the fans may say, "Well, how does that work for us?" Well, if you have the right partners that are connected with our fans, they will help grow this game. They will amplify it. And and I, I just a little you know kind of transferable note relative to the NASCAR question. That's what's been so exciting about the sport over the years is when you find those really great partners that love your sport, love your athletes, and really believe in in the fan base. Um, then they sit there and take their resources and grow it for you. So, I, just a, a quick example, we just we just did a deal this year with with a, a new partner, Mahindra Tractors, which is you know, huge in North America, had never been in the NASCAR space, really had never been in the professional sports space, start partnering with them. And all of a sudden they're doing national commercials that are highlighting our athletes, our sport in an impactful way and spending and doubling down. Right. So they're obviously spending resources with our team, but now they're spending it on a North American media buy. And, you know, when we think big, how how can we take this sport to to levels that we haven't been, it's finding those partners that then want to take our athletes that, that, as you know, are, you know, very unique, you know, and, and special in the world of professional sports and what those guys are doing, what their other jobs they may be having, and then, and then running off and beating the hell out of each other on a lacrosse field, right? How do we tell those stories and find partners that are willing to tell those stories? That's real content. Um, That's impactful. And that's how we grow the fan. And that's how we can continue to grow the fanship.
0: Uh, Despite a couple of decades in NASCAR, uh, when you were a young player, a young kid with that wood stick in in upstate New York. So when you are coaching your kid in lacrosse, do you ever think the day where you would be Brett Frude commissioner of the NLL? No,
1: no, it's, I'll tell you, um, the last couple of days have been pretty uncomfortable for me, to be honest with you. Um, I've been doing this for a while, and 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 I can tell you, you'd probably be hard pressed to find too many articles, pictures, much going on with me relative to the the internet. Um, and that's purposeful. It's you know, I've always been a team guy and not an I guy. So to me, it's about surrounding yourself with great human capital, working together. Um, and creating an environment where there's no pride of authorship, let's go get it together. So that I, I'm, I'm actually looking forward to, um, when we officially start and we're all working together and, and moving the needle and not seeing my picture on anything <laughs> or my name, um, but seeing our league's name mm-hmm. heavily, um, heavily vested in, in new media and, and moving forward. So no, I, I didn't envision commissioner. Now I did, you know, I always hoped and envisioned I'd be making impact on this sport and being involved um, intimately in some way. But I guess, you know, the word commissioner never came to mind. And um, I think as we get going here, I won't, I won't think too much about that. It's, it's how do we all work together and, and elevate this league.
0: Well, Brad, it's been an absolutely fantastic uh, first couple of conversations with you, my friend. Um, You are in a great spot. We are happy to have you and can't wait to see all the things you accomplish leading this ship. Uh, Appreciate your time, my friend. I'm sure we'll talk soon and look forward to meeting you in person uh, at the draft come September.
1: Great. Thank you very much and uh, look forward to the future and certainly appreciate folks like you that are at the forefront of of the league and and telling
0: the story. And we're, we're going to need many of you. All right. That's Brett Frude, your new commissioner of the NLL, a fantastic conversation. And even more so now than when I first heard him speak on the press conference on Tuesday, do I feel so comfortable with him leading this ship? Yes. Having a lacrosse background is huge. Yes, having the professional acumen of running one of the best motorsports teams in the world is huge. But, and this isn't a knock on Nick Sakevich. But so far in the two instances that we've, as the public have gotten to hear from Brett Froude, nothing's rehearsed. Nothing's read off a prompt. Nothing is thinly veiled. It is just out in the open, honest, truthful, and from the heart. And that is incredibly reassuring for myself, and I'm sure for many of you, because it just you feel like he has a grasp of things right away and he understands the magnitude of things. And I just, I I think I've probably said this the last few times the NLL has done something like this, but this time more than ever, I truly feel they got it right. You know what I mean? And the fact that he is a lacrosse guy, but not like a guy that's currently thoroughly, deeply involved in the inner landscape of lacrosse. It's a guy that just has roots and he's gone through the process of being a player and coaching. And now as a commissioner, being a father of athletes in the game, like, He understands where the past has been, where the present is, and where the future is going. And I think that is so vitally important for the National Lacrosse League. So I can't wait to see what things Brett can accomplish in this role. And I know a lot of people I saw on Twitter and on Facebook posts and Instagram posts saying, how come the NLL is quickly turning over this role? And I don't think we're quickly turning over. I just don't think it's an easy role to take on, especially with the continued labor unrest and trying to find a footing in this grand scape of the sports media world. It's not easy to compete With baseball, and football, and basketball, and hockey, and NASCAR, and F1, and wrestling, and women's sports, and soccer, and all the other options that are out there. It can't be easy to be the leader of this sport. There's so much going on, and there's so much to compete with. But I don't don't know if I've ever felt as comfortable with a new commissioner coming in as I do now with Brett fruit. The fact that he's a Messier fan just tops it all off. So, thanks to Brett for stopping by. We're obviously going to talk to him a ton uh, over the next months, years, whatever it may be, because we need to know what's going on. We need to keep those lines of communication open and hopefully the first big thing that he'll get done is that CBA and we go from there. Unfortunately for Mike Poolin, though, there is no next year. Well, there is from a managerial standpoint, but not as a player. And as a player, Mike Poolin competed and went toe-to-toe with the best of the best for 15-plus years. He went the route of a goaltender having to learn from the best, watch the best, study the best, and then became one of the best. But much like Brett Frude. Mike Poolin gets it. He understands what it takes to be a professional and be successful. You have to bide your time. You have to take the good with the bad. You have to make tough decisions and move on from things. And oddly enough, you'll hear Mike say it the decision to kind of step away might not have been as hard as he would have thought it's probably a harder decision on his family than it was for him but now he will go from being one of the elite goaltenders in our league and one of the nicest guys you can ever meet to working alongside eddie como as the agm of the georgia swarm this is the pool and wall one of the best right here on the off the crossbar podcast now joined by one of the, I don't know, man, like best gentlemen of our sport, um, one of the best leaders, one of the best goalies, and also one of the biggest fans of just coming on this show and, and talking about life and lacrosse. It's Mike Poulin, uh, now of the Georgia Swarm front
2: office. How are you, Pooley? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Um, What's been going on? I, I've been keeping. How's your summer? It's been awesome. Um, I have three young boys, and yeah. uh, so this year, this summer has just been all about coaching little kids lacrosse. So uh, we just wrapped up pretty much. We had our U nine provincials, and uh, we had U seven final tournament last weekend. And I and I ran our paperweight house league and soft paperweight house league programs for my for my youngest. So uh, it, it, I was literally in the arena every night doing something, but. Um, I've realized how much I love it, you know, like it was so great to be around the kids and, and try and uh, try and help that way. So, uh, so yeah, I've just been busy with, with coaching little guys. And, and never put the pads on once all summer. Oh, no, I had them on, I had them on. <laughs> we had a parent practice uh, a couple of weeks back and, and uh, our parents were awesome. They, 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 we had large numbers come out. So I figured I'd help the boys out. So I played goalie for our guys and they, uh, my wife may have scored a goal on me and uh she she may have scored five hole on me which since the day i started playing this game i still haven't figured out you know how to have a great five hole and she (laughs) let me hear it so yeah that was that was humbling and that and that was like okay i think retirement is the right decision
0: (laughs) (laughs) she killed your confidence yeah that's right um do do the boys understand what's going on like do they know that you're not going to be traveling again and they're not going to be seeing you on tv and stuff like that
2: yeah they do um believe it or not there's they all want me to keep playing my wife wants me to keep playing my kids want me to keep playing because they they love watching you know the games on saturdays and uh when i would i felt me being gone so much was like um you know a hinder on them and my wife's like, no, like that Saturday became our thing. You know, we'd go do stuff, but knowing like Saturday night was, we're going to come home and watch dad. And, um, the only thing that makes me sad about it is that like my four-year-old doesn't understand it, but my eight-year-old totally gets it. He loves it. Same with the six-year-old. They've been watching me for years, but, uh, you know, I, I kind of joke, like only one person wanted me to retire. And that was me. So, uh, my family, my parents, you know, the, the swarm that they, they were all kind of uh, hoping I'd, I'd come back, but, um, mm-hmm. I'm as much as I love, you know, still playing and being a part of lacrosse. I truly love watching my kids play sports. And I found last year, I missed so much, um, you know, of their hockey. So I missed tournaments, you know, I, I, be calling before the game, asking how everything went. And, and I just, I, I kind of followed my heart with the the decision of where do I really want to be? And uh, these are years you can't get back. So it was purely um, a decision based on, you know, I've, I've got nothing. In my opinion, I, I don't have anything left to prove in lacrosse. Yeah. I, I love the journey I had every moment of it. But now I'm excited for my kid's journey. And, um, you know, I, I I'll have more time to do that
0: has this sort of been the first off season where that thought process really came to the forefront of maybe it's time to hang him up or you know even during the covid times were you thinking about it
2: you know what i i really didn't want covid to end my career i i wanted another year um and, and i've talked in the past about about wanting to retire but it never you know, it never got past like an initial conversation because I still felt I had some, you know, gas left in the tank. And, and, um, you know, I felt like our swarm window to ch- to win championships is still open. So, um, you know, that was, that was a driving force when we lost our last game. I felt like, I think that that's it for me. And then the fact that two months later, I I still felt that, you know, yeah. that's how I knew. Okay. Like this isn't just like, um, you know, I was sad about losing the last game and missing playoffs for the first time. And no, it was I I knew that I was done. Uh, you started your, your career
0: in Toronto. You went to Boston and Calgary before you end up in Georgia. What was the harder city to
2: leave? Uh I'd say to be completely honest, and, and that's the best part about being done now, is I can I can say everything, <laughs> yeah. Launch um, blanche, man. Let her go. I I love love calgary so much um yeah. leaving calgary was very tough i left as a free agent um but it was it was easy knowing that they were in a good place they had christian del bianco and they had um you know frankie shiliano in the net uh i left with you know only good relationships there i'd I, try to tell people anyone who listen, never burn a bridge. And I left there with, you know, all those, all my bridges intact with the uh, Kurt Maloski and my teammates and, and Mike board and the ownership group, they understood, uh, I'd been flying in and out for seven years and, um, and that took its toll on me and I wanted to be on the East coast. So mm-hmm. I left there in free agency knowing like, Oh man, we got a really good team. You know, that, that was hard because I, I love that group of guys being with them so much. And, um, the, you know, when I when I left Toronto, I, I was sad to leave there because I was taken in the expansion draft. It wasn't my my choice. But mm-hmm. uh I was so young, I didn't realize like how great it was to play for your hometown team, an hour away team. But um uh, that was you know, that one I, I was just kind of young and naive to like, hey, I'm Bob Watson's backup, like you know. <laughs> I got pretty, I yeah, yeah. So um I got taken in the expansion draft. It was out of my hands. Yeah. Um didn't realize how good I had it in Toronto. And then Boston was an interesting one because I was taken there to be the guy. And then two weeks before the season, Chicago folded. So cause came in and um, I'm so glad he did. I, you know, he was so awesome with me, you know, showing me the ropes. And, um, but after that first year in Boston, that's when kind of, I was like, well, I'm behind Anthony Cosmo. Like when am I ever going to play? So that was the first time where I was like, Hey, I've, I've met, you know, you guys need to trade me. I'm okay with that. And, uh, and then, you know, three weeks later I was traded, <laughs> uh, but that was like a, a good situation for everybody. Mm-hmm. They had a really good team, a really good goalie. And and Calgary had a really good team and needed a goalie and, and it, it was a good fit. So all my, all my exits, um, you know, over the years, even, even Buffalo, I was drafted there and I was the third right. string goalie. And then I went to Toronto. They, they all over the years, um, uh, you know, I would, they, they were good for both sides i think and uh the, the toughest one though was was leaving calgary but it made the most sense to come east and i think it worked out pretty well for everybody they won a championship we won a championship yeah. things looked uh, came out all right um were you collecting air miles that whole time oh yeah oh yeah i, <laughs> I don't remember who told me to start you know start collecting hotel points yeah. air miles all that stuff so uh I think every year we would stay at the Palliser, the Fairmont Palliser right, in Calgary. Yeah, yeah. And uh, at the end of every season, I'd have two free nights at any Fairmont in, uh, in the world. And um, we'd have all like basically free flights. So my wife and I would have a weekend away for wow. free every year at like a, a free flights and, and uh, like at a really nice hotel. So yeah. we, it felt like we were pro athletes, even though, you know, <laughs> we were <laughs> lacrosse athletes. Um, that was cool um you mentioned you're drafted by buffalo do you remember your draft uh i remember getting a call from jamie kirk my orangeville teammate saying hey congrats man and i was like oh where'd i go <laughs> um so it was just it was like p- updates posted online there was no draft it was um they would just post who who was selected and i think like the gms were in a room at a hotel somewhere but uh my connection was um steve dietrich is a kitchener guy Mm, and i'm a kitchener guy and and he knew me when i was growing up and and then all of a sudden i get taken to buffalo and i was like oh this has chugger written all over it i was i was really excited (laughs) about that
0: um so you go buffalo toronto what was your nll welcome moment
2: um so my well there's two one is like the nll and then Mm -hmm. my lacrosse welcome moment so the first one was i go to buffalo training camp and i'm pretty young and naive in the sense of like, you know, uh, not sure what to expect. And we can go to the hotel room after the, after the night of, of camp and the guys are playing cards. I I've never really, I'm not, still not, I'm not a gambler. And at that point, I'd never really played cards and they're playing, uh, hit the posts where they like have two cards set up and you call, is it going to be inside or out? And if it hits the post, you double the pot. Yeah. I, I literally, I'm like, I, I guess I'll try and try to fit in with the guys. And I hit the post and I owed like 450 bucks. At the end of the night. <laughs> My salary for the whole year was a thousand dollars, and I owed 450 night one of trading camp. And I'm sitting here like, are these guys really gonna collect? Like, what? Yeah, is this for real? And I like, I couldn't have had a better group of vets around me. Dan Teed and Steve Dietrich and Jonathan, But like, uh, Pat McCready was special. He won the pot that night, mm. and I just remember him being coming up to me like, "What do you got in your wallet?" And I was like, "Showing." He's like that'll do <laughs> he didn't, uh, you know he didn't hold me to it whereas I'm sure a few of the uh, the other guys on yeah. the team may have he was he was great about it so that was like welcome to the NLL and then when I went to Toronto um, my first ever playing minutes was against Calgary actually and um, it was one of those like we're losing and I came in and sure as you know Sure, sure as shit dreads doesn't tracy Kaluski get the first shot and it, it just fires right by me and i'm like okay uh oh for one there goes the shout yeah. out uh yeah. Can't so, stop them all. yeah yeah so getting like letting in the first ever you know the first career shot that was a that was a chuckle yeah but i, I had, that was my whole career man I, I i didn't have good stats on the first shot of the game <laughs>
0: But if you stopped the first one, you were good, right?
2: That's right. That's right. In fact, my dad, I may have told this before, my dad would literally bet my brother-in-law when they're watching the games. He's like, hey, five bucks for a shot. No way. Oh, yeah. yeah."
0: (laughs) 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 Unbelievable. Um, So you go to Calgary 2012, You a goalie of the year, your first team All-Pro. You have one of your best years of your career. Um, What stood out? What stands out about that year? And why do you think kind of everything fell into
2: place? Uh, I think what Calgary identified is I was still young and, and, um, needed, you know, you know, I played the first, that was my third year there and we had good teams, playoffs and stuff, but, uh, they went and got me Curtis Palador as like a mentor backup and Pally came in and he was literally like, I, I'm not exaggerating. He's like, Pooley, I don't want to play a minute. All right. <laughs> That's so Pally. He's like, yeah. he's like I, if I had a rough start, if we're down like three, seven minutes in, you know, I'd, I'd kind of look over or no, I'd come for like a TV timeout and he'd be yeah. like, I'm not going in, bud. Figure this out. Like that was the support I needed to be like, Hey, I'm going to be in here for 60 minutes. And if I give up 30 goals, you know, this is on me so like, he was the guy to like literally pick me up and and i i'm joking you know partially but like he was he was amazing with being like being yeah you gotta figure this out man and, and he has uh, such a
0: like a candor with his voice it's kind of got yeah. that little high pitch twang yeah. to him so it's exactly how he would sound yeah
2: so then he was you know he was the first guy to buy me a drink after the game and uh and, and you know congratulate me we, we had a, a very successful season on the floor because we were you know, very talented group with good leadership. And uh um so I mean I, I think it reflected my results reflected like we're just a reflection of the team, but uh but Pally being there was was very important for me. And I think you see that a lot now with teams who have young starting goalies is as, as coaches being like, well I don't need two good young goalies because maybe the battle internally might not be healthy. So they they grab a, a good veteran like Del Bianco um you know he had tyler richards with him you know that's Mm -hmm. one that i can remember and 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 if i you know know, if i had you know every young goalie in front of me i could find it probably an example of them having that and that was important for me but also we had um you know kurt was running the the you know the team and uh and and kurt's very you know at the time very like here's you know this is this is what we're doing and everything so we followed it you know we would follow him you know wherever he told us to go but we also we had a very fun group like hey we're gonna do the job but he also let us be like Curtis Dixon myself Andrew McBride Dane Dolby, Jeff Shadler like we've got that's a lot of personality so well, yeah realized you know hey I'm telling you know I'm telling it like it is he also identified like hey I, I gotta start letting these guys be a little free and uh and we had fun fun doing it
0: um, that leads me to sort of a, a sidebar question. Who is the best leader as a coach and best leader as a player you ever played for and with?
2: Uh, man, I'm going to get me in trouble here. Uh, um, no, no. No. there's no trouble here on the show, buddy. There's, uh, I, mean, I've, I, I've, I've always said, um, you know, Eddie come is the best thing that happened to me because he let me, you know, just kind of let me go do my thing. And, and he was very, um, just 100 percent supportive. Uh, Kurt was the most prepared coach I've ever seen. Um, but my leader, uh, I, I go back to junior a was Matt Sawyer. Like Matt was the fire me up get me going, you know, type of, of, of leader for me. Um, all three of them, very important in my, in my career in life, uh, still communicate with, uh, with all of them, uh, which is great. So, for different reasons those three are the most impactful in my life but you know the, the the guy who could get me to like follow him into through the gates of hell was matt sawyer yeah um on the floor man i really love you know the leadership of jordan mcintosh because he's you know he, he's just an honest good man um i had andrew mcbride tracy kaluski was my captain when i got to calgary unfortunately i only had him for one year but, like, I could tell that guy was just a leader of of men. But uh, the best leader I ever played with was, I think, Josh Sanderson. Um, you know, he is the, the epitome of if our team needs a goal, I'm getting it. You know, like, do your part. Everybody roll in the same way. But when it came down to, oh, gosh, this is desperate times. We need a goal to win. We knew Josh was getting it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was a special player in that regard.
2: Yeah, yeah love to win and then love to celebrate wins. <laughs> <laughs> he sure does. Um how was the
0: celebration when the swarm won that cup? Oh man, it was wild. It was um like cuz that was, whole series was bananas.
2: The series was bananas. We we uh you know, we were the number 1 seed, they were the number 2 seed. So we host game 1. Ludacris is playing halftime, <laughs> you know, we have a low scoring um you know we won I think we won handedly game one if I remember correctly we won by a few um not handedly but like it wasn't mm-hmm. a close game um so then we go there and we knew you know that's a tough place to win but then like just you know just high scoring 16-15 final and overtime 18-14 18-14 okay 18, 14. so we're by four geez yeah definitely I I really did my part I eh? <laughs> 14 <laughs> and a half goals against average in the championship um, that's why Jordan Hall always jokes. Every time, you know, we talk about the 2017 championship, he's like, Hey, defense Pooley, you guys are welcome. You know, yeah. for <laughs> sincerely from the offense. Um, so then we go there and honestly, when, when Jonesy scored with a minute left, um, you know, I, I remember feeling like, Oh man, like I, I should have had that one. I fell for a fit, like a, a move. I should have never fallen for ball goes in. And then we we get a chance. They get the ball back with eleven seconds left. Call timeout. And I'm literally on the bench thinking, I wonder if my family's going to come to Georgia for Game Three. Like, so the series was bananas. The fact that we get the ball back, tie it up, and then go on to win was insane. Like, yeah. when you talk wildest finishes in NLL championship history, um, there's been some amazing ones. But I I, I know it's uh, biased, but I think that Stack one that great. one up there at the top yeah um so then we but then so we we celebrate in the dressing room uh like every championship team should because that's the that's the memory that lasts the longest with me is being in the room and the guys singing we are the champion and i i was the guy who was the best I'll, I'll remember it the i was the guy who carried the cup from the floor into the room yeah so i was the last guy into the room and then just the champagne spraying <laughs> and then the, the cup so um that moment was you know the best winning and celebrating the room is something you know that's that's an incredible feeling but then we go back to the hotel mm. and uh mr Arlada had uh rented out like the the conference room and we had you know a, a fair amount of family there and um you know it was just fully stocked of of booze and beers and and like i think uh our flight home the next day was at 10 a.m and and if anybody on that flight had announced like a wink of sleep i'd be shocked Mm -hmm. we were just up because we knew like we're we were a team that was spread out so it was kind of like our last night together and um the uh you know when when you win a championship in lacrosse it's you typically don't get much you know much more after that first night it's um you know, so it was, it was pretty cool. We, we stayed up all night. And then, and then again, the Erladas took the team to Orlando for a trip uh, a few weeks later. So it was like to get back together. That was a, you know, a special, special weekend for the group. Um, you guys were a very tight group down in Georgia, especially like
0: the last three or four years, you know, you Crep, J Mac, Jordan hall. Like that was a very tight knit group that had been around for a while. Um,
2: how did the Nashville trip start? <laughs> the uh, so part of the CBA is um, there used to be this fund that would like you know kind of go towards player benefits, and then the, the ownership was like, "Well, listen, what if we just gave you guys X amount of dollars and you guys spend it?" And years past, guys would do gift cards, like gas cards. Um, you know, here's an e- here's just an equal portion. Like here's a check, mm. and we. You know, we had a young team. We had some Wiley veterans on the team. Um, Halsey was like, he's the best at bringing a room together when it comes to running court. So we loved being with each other. So the fact that we were like, hey, we're together every weekend for six months, but we want to spend a little more time together. Yeah, it didn't surprise any of us. So we, so we were decided as a group was me, Mitch, Belisle, Halsey, and McIntosh. We're like, let's 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 try and find a way to go away. So even with a little bit of money, if the team, if you work it around a game, a Friday night game, so your flights are paid for by the team, mm-hmm. um, you know, now all you got to figure out is like a hotel and where you are going to go and how you are going to get there? So we, Nashville's four hours away from Georgia. So that's a, that's, um, you know, that's an easy trip. So we, mm-hmm. the first year we rented minivans, we had four minivans, we did a draft. So we had four rookies on the team and they paid, so it was Leo Storris, Brian Cole, uh, Connor Sellers and maybe Liam Bearns and I forget who it was, but they did a draft. Like we want to draft our vans. And, um, so like it, it was just from the beginning, it was the most fun I've ever had. Like this initial weekend. So we plan the hotels. We, now we've got the bus, uh, the, the vans ready. We stocked the vans up, uh, you know, coolers of the, of beer in the trunk. So when we get there, we're just primed and ready to go. And, um, and, and for the most part, a lot of the guys, including myself had never been to Nashville. So you get there, and then it's just like, oh wow, this is like the the hidden gem of North America. This would have been in 2017. So I, um, I think that secret's out of the closet for everybody in lacrosse yeah. now. It says how awesome Nashville is. But we once we got there, like it's too bad you have to spend so much money on all those hotel rooms because you don't spend a second in <laughs> the, <you> know, <laughs> yeah. the whole time. Um, you know, you go to Tootsie's, you don't leave. You're, you're like there, there's a strip. The hockey rink is at the top football stadiums, at the bottom and hundred bars along the way. And, and we must've been in 95 of them. So we had like, we had so much fun. And then, uh, you know, we, we did it with like six weeks left in the season. So every weekend we'd be coming back and we'd like smiling, remembering something that, you know, came up on that trip. And, uh, it just brought a close group even closer together. Yeah. So after we win it, we're like, I mean, it's gotta be because of Nashville, right? That's why we won. <laughs> So we just basically made it the annual trip and uh, we've talked about doing different cities. Um, You know, like Charleston's close by, or maybe like when you go to San Diego, which because of COVID season cancellation, I never got to San Diego. Yeah. Um, But so, but I mean, you can't like, even if they do go somewhere else in the, in the future, you just, if it is Nashville, you 100% can't go wrong.
0: Yeah. Um, You talked about the championship in Georgia. Is there another memory? uh in lacrosse
2: that kind of sticks out um i was man it's weird that this is the first one that came to mind i was fortunate enough i've played with some amazing amazing all-time legends mm-hmm. uh but i was there for jim beltman's last game and that was that was important to me because he was a uh very um he was very good to me as a young guy you know coming in he's one of the greatest of all time he, he was, uh, you know longer in the tooth at that point. And I'm just this young guy there, you know, knowing I'm not gonna play much and there to have fun. And he he kind of really um showed me the ropes of how to be a pro. And so him retiring. I remember I was at the 99 championship game when Caleb scored I was up in the crowd, you know, as a little kid. That's a memory that I'll live forever. Um and uh I don't know I think like it's kind of weird when you when you look back, these small things that like I remember Curtis Dixon's first game and uh you know he gets we trade for like Tracy Kluski number 17 is gone now and this kid comes out now I'm, I'm number 17 and he's got the jersey tuck and he scores and you know he's just celebrating hard And I just remember being like this kid's got it you know? <laughs> I just remember I remember all these weird things that that uh come to mind but it's hard to pinpoint um you know one but uh yeah like those those are just a few of them but um the championship will be the one because it took it took so long like i won uh in my 12th season 2017 was my 12th season in the nll and and before that i'd never won a man cup i'd never won a Minto cup i'd never won an nll championship so i was kind of like that notorious can't get it done guy mm-hmm. so winning it um you know winning it took like that that was that was incredible that that hit tops the cake but when we got to the championship in 2014 and, um, you know, the way we upset that Edmonton rush team who was a wagon, um, that, that was special too, because like that was finally just even getting there, which I'd never been able to do. Um, and because like, I mean, and that those Calgary teams I was on, we were so good every year that, uh, the fact that we never actually sealed the deal that that's like the painful memory of it all. There's always positives. You got to remember the negatives too, because they help you kind of grow. But the, the most painful of it all is that th- I never won with Calgary because those were unbelievable teams.
0: Would you rather talk about winning with Canada or winning a Man Cup with the
2: Borough? How uh, much time? I, I, I can stick around and talk. Um, Let's go, buddy. So, well, you mentioned the Man Cup. He'd never
0: gotten there. So you'd, yeah. you'd won the, the NLL title with Georgia. A um, couple seasons passed. You get picked up by the Borough. And you come out to God's country for, for the man cup. And it was a culmination of, of an incredible season for you guys.
2: Yeah, it was, you know what I, I played uh, four or five years with Brooklyn. And I feel like every year we were eliminated by Peter bro. So I like. I swore I'd never put on that jersey and, and play for that team and then the second Kyle Matisse calls me and says hey I'm going to Peterborough and and you know they're they're trying to trade for you would you come I was like ah sure I love you Kyle yeah, all right I mean yeah, uh you know any chance once you get that taste of winning a championship that's yeah. all you want right so um so I'd been a couple of years at Georgia and now I wanted, you know never won a man cup and it's Canadian lacrosse player um the man cup is the big one right that's that's mm. you know I mean they're all big but Junior A Minto would have been awesome but the man cup is the one that like you, you remember to hear the stories but so i was like i've always wanted one so I, i'm going to join this team and uh it, it was pretty clear it was a six nations peterborough season like top two teams um you know oakville they're good and and um brooklyn still actually i think they might have been in a bit of a rebuild but it was like it, it was a tough um it was a tough journey to get there because like, well, what was cool about it was, was it was Vino and I the whole year, so mm-hmm. all, alternating games and supporting each other. And I'd played with Vino years ago in six nations and we hit it off right away. Like there was no rivalry between the two of us. It was, it was always support. So I'm back with him and and we got a, a like an all-star lineup. Um, that was so cool to be a part of, right? Like being with, seeing all these, these studs, play together and like be there every game, not just like, uh, I'll be there when I can. Like it was, it was this, this fully committed to this team. And, um, so we have the, the Ontario finals and, um, we go down two to nothing against six nations and, uh, and we're kind of just sitting there like, man, this, what the heck happened? Like this was supposed to be our year, but like, I think that doubt crept out or like that, that was gone really quickly because we looked around and, and realized how good we were. And there was no panic so then we then we four bang six nations and like the physical series it was it was wild but um it was an eye-opener for me because like i said i'd never been to a, a man cup and I, I i don't even remember if i had uh it would been it had been a while since i'd even made it to the ontario finals so when we win and peterborough has been to so many they just know okay guys uh expect your itinerary, make sure you're clear for work. Like now I'm sitting here booking off work, going to Victoria, you know, see a family and, uh, I'm I'm gone for potentially, you know, 11 days. And, um, kind of the side note, which I'll talk right about after that is I was, that was the same month as team Canada in Vancouver. Mm -hmm. If I was gone the 11 days for the, for the Man cup, I was coming home for literally, for, literally forty eight hours, and then turning around and going to spend two weeks back in Vancouver. Yeah. So I knew this September was going to be insane. Um, so I, so I basically head head out west with the guys, and um, I came a day late. Joey Restitarius, uh, Restitarius, and I came a day late because we each had like I didn't want to miss my kids' first day of school, and Joey didn't want to miss his kids' first birthday. I think was the the reason. So we both missed. Uh, we didn't fly with the team. We came the mm-hmm. next day, but we got there, we practiced and, and, um, uh, I'd never been to Victoria and like what a beautiful, beautiful place. Um, you know, we take the little commuter plane. We didn't take the ferry, but like just the views and, and the experience was, was incredible. Uh, so then walking into like even the arena, um, you know, the the history there is something I, I, I remember I had a memory on my phone the other day and it was, uh, or nothing, it was a bit ago, but it was um like me taking like the, the panoramic view of the arena and just being like this yeah. is so cool. Uh but they kicked our butts game one. It was like 13-7. And on paper, that team should not have been there. Like Jesse King was hurt, um Reese Dutch was hurt, uh yeah. Chris Wardell was hurt. Like they were so banged up. And um a paper, like I think it was Maple Ridge loaded up. Mm-hmm. so the fact that they were in there we we're like oh interesting we weren't expecting them and then they kicked our butts game one <laughs> and that's like oh man we got a series here like the might have already put the you know the been trying on rings maybe is what right. where our mentality yeah. was so then like the peterborough guys their experience kicked in and they kind of you know, they showed like Sean, we were losing game two with a minute left and uh, we might've been down by two and Sean Evans, boom, boom scores. Yeah. And I think we won. we either won in overtime or we won at the very end of the game game two. but we were very close to going down two games to zero. And um, so we win that game in the way the man cup goes, uh, you know, this is as, yeah. as it goes, you play game one, game two, a day off, three, four, five, a day off, and then six, seven. So we win game two and so we have day off we go fishing uh some guys golfed and whatnot we win game two or sorry game three and game four so now it's three one and that big championship game is is coming up but also mm-hmm. you're sitting there like hey if we can win this one maybe we can go home a little earlier you yeah. know like there's yeah. there's a, there are a few factors on there it's not just you know hey i want to win this championship but i was sitting there like we win this championship i can maybe spend three more days at home yeah of course. Um, so we we uh, we won, and fortunately for the experience, we won by um, by a few. And uh, with two or three minutes left, you know, we we knew we were going to. So like the 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 build up, the anticipation of knowing you're about to win a championship uh, kicked mm-hmm. in. And I just remember like looking around at that full barn, and um, you were there. I su- I saw you making the call, and um, you know, I saw some familiar faces from out west who I haven't seen. And and like winning that one was uh, uh, it was special because like that group they they just showed their true colors of knowing how to win and i've never been around that before so winning that was was an incredible party but it, somehow i had the wherewithal like at two in the morning um you know 20 beers deep an incredible celebration i just remember being like oh i gotta call WestJet," and i <laughs> i call WestJet and um I, I'm able to change my reservation. She's like, it's going to cost this much. And I'm like, I, you, whatever number you would have said, I would have paid it. I'm yeah. like, And I, and I somehow managed, I changed joy res too. So oh, he nice. and I left the next morning at like 7.00 AM. We got out of there sleeping in the, in the cab, we get to the airport, we're sleeping in like, that's when we got our sleep in. And then we go home and, and had a couple of days. Cause he was turning around and coming back with team USA. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but the rest of the guys, uh, because like of literally like every plane being full no one else except for joey res and i were able to change their flight so they no had like three extra days in victoria <laughs> without being able to fly home and so it, the, our party was incredible one night their party was a long oh, yeah. three days yeah. uh, so they uh they had a time and they just could not get out of there so i'm so glad <laughs> it worked out for us but uh but that was really cool and um and then it just it rolled into the next one so then I get home and it's like, spend some time with family, pack your bag again, because you're heading right back out. And this was the, um, uh, I rank them as this. I always say winning the NLO championship with George was the most special because it took that long. And it was, it was this part of my my journey that I never thought was going to happen. And then it happens and the feeling was incredible. Winning with Peter o was the hardest one to win because it was the seven game series with six nations, the whole year drag, and then going out to Victoria and like living that life for, for, you know, how long it took to, to get it and then living and then winning with Canada right after was the most special because you got to put on, you know, put on the maple leaf. And what made it special was being with guys like Chris Corbeil, Kyle Rubish, and um, you know, the Mark Matthews and, and Shane Jackson, like all these incredible, incredible players who I hadn't been playing. And actually one of the most special was Dane Smith. Cause we're both Kitchener guys. Um, you know so uh, Dane and I being on the same team for the first time that was really cool so like when I look around that dress that locker room and I, I'm clearly blanking on a lot of names because it was an incredible roster mm-hmm. um, I got to be a part of a tandem with with Del Bianco and, and Dylan who I fortunately like again I, I had good relationships with from previous seasons Dylan with the Kodiaks uh, mm-hmm. in major series Lacrosse, and then Christian for a year in, in Calgary so we came in and, and already right off the bat, the goaltenders were all on the same page, like just happy for each other and supportive. And the team was an absolute wagon. And, um, what made it different in, in special was like, this there's like that quick tournament style. We were there for less than two weeks. Um, yeah. you know, we did a lot of things together. Canada put on, um, you know, they put on an incredible, incredible week uh, tournament for us. Like, Right up from just the accommodations to uh, the rides everywhere, the things we would do as a team, the meals, you know, stuff like it, they did—they made the experience wonderful. So um, having my family there, my parents came out, my wife and and uh, three kids were out. Uh, that was that was so special. Um, I I like to kind of joke they, I got to play the championship game. Um, I feel like they kind of just said ah let's let the old guy play. You know, he's not going to get another shot where we know Dylan and Christian are going to win a whole bunch more. Yeah. So uh, they, they let me play. Um, and uh, that team was so incredible that uh, you know, any sniff that Iroquois had, we answered immediately. And, mm-hmm. and it was a 19 to 12 game, but it was, you know, they got a couple late that we were already celebrating. I felt like it, it, it wasn't, it was never in doubt that whole week. So uh, that was really, really cool. So all all three were, were different experiences for me um you know I, I, but uh they all have different you know different meanings too in terms of where they rank and and what they meant
0: uh, a couple more here before we let you go mike um, but this has just been an absolutely incredible conversation as always um how long have you been thinking about going from a player to into the front office with george how long has that kind of discussion been happening
2: um it's been a few years uh I, it's funny i talked to scott campbell the other day when i announced my retirement he called me and um our conversations our situations were very very similar when we were you know he talked about when he was looking for his next team in free agency that being a, converse, a part of the conversation was you know post-career um and mm-hmm. and kurt uh Stiers, including him on, on on kind of the insights and i was very fortunate uh same thing happened to me in, in talking with uh with mr a where um I had mentioned when I'm done playing, I want to be more involved with the the building of a team rather than coaching a team, and um, and and he was uh, immediately immediately accommodating to that. Where I was always interested in like, hey, I think this guy might be available. You know, I love hearing like, hey, you know, what happened behind that trade? I was always interested in like the acquisition of a player, the potential to, and then you find out a lot more in terms of um, you know this new opportunity i've had with with uh with john where he's given me that insight on like okay well this is the guy's contract status and this is where he'd fit in in the salary cap or this is who we'd have to potentially give up Mm -hmm. so getting the insights on on player acquisition over the past couple years and and having you know the input um you know john has been he's asked for my advice and he's asked for my opinion over the years which as a player goalie um you know you have to be careful with because sometimes you you know you can make a make a call and then you only have yourself to blame and you're like, geez, I'm not even the GM. I shouldn't be in this, you know, this, this conversation. Look now, look what I've done. Um, but, uh, but that's, that's part of the job is, is you, you make the decisions and, and you stick with it. So it's been really, really cool to, uh, to be given that opportunity the past few years. And then now that it's, um, you know, it's, it's pretty much official that, uh, you know, I, I've joined the, the swarm front office and, um, you know, I I've been included on, on a lot. Like I've been able to be a part of the drafts in the past uh, being live, but now I'll be there with uh, not just announcing I'll be there, you know, as a representative of the swarm and having conversations. So it'll be, uh, it'll be very cool. It's no secret that Georgia has struggled over the last few years, keeping their
0: young goaltending talent for whatever reason. Um, how involved are you going to be
2: in helping develop uh, the successor to your throne? Uh, very involved so my role will be um working with uh, the development of our players specifically the goalies um you know i think i think it's a testament all these guys we draft seem to be you know picked up and 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 going elsewhere But it uh but that's kind of that this is what happens now with box lacrosse goaltending uh you, you know you wouldn't see as much with players because they'd go away to school and they might be coming into the league at 23 well after your fourth year junior if you're a star goalie like you might as well go into the nll draft because you know there's there's no university route for box goalie you mm-hmm. see a lot of talented ones like del bianco and dobson coming in and um you know morning hutchinson in the press here who who are a field goalie too but that's not that common so if there's a lot more younger goalies coming into the league um which is great because, you know, years ago it was like, Hey, there's not enough good goalies or coaches to, to expand. I think, you know, the league has shown that's, that's not necessarily the problem. Um, So what we've, you know, a lot of the young drafts, um, the guys that we've drafted after a year, maybe two of, of practice roster um, you know, they're, they're looking for, for more of an opportunity and they're only 21 years old uh, whereas in the past, you know, they might be 23, 24, maybe now it makes more sense. So it's, uh, you know, they have that ability due to free agency and the, and they can, you know, choose to go elsewhere. And that wasn't always the case years ago, but it is now. So it's kind of, you have to change your way of thinking with, with young Mm -hmm. goaltenders, um, you know, and, and it's just a part of the game now. And I think, uh, we've um you know we've lost some some very good ones uh, i blame myself for sticking around so long if we just identified i was I was ready to go years ago maybe we could have hung on to them but uh but no that that just makes my job more interesting as as an experienced goalie that i can hopefully identify um some potential options for us as well especially starting with craig wendy who i fully believe has the capability to to be a starter in this league
0: Um, with vegas coming in with you know hopefully maybe a 16th team coming in in the future and then down the road um, the one conversation that always gets brought up is the goaltending talent pool Um, how do you feel about the depth of that pool as we grow in expansion
2: every year that i've been at the draft table for the swarm um it's like Hey, there's these three guys, you know, like there's these three guys. And then the years before, I remember it was the Dougie Jameson, Kevin Orleman, Warren Hill. And then last year was, you know, and then it was um, you know, even last year we had um, three goalies. We, you know, we, it, it, I just keep seeing like out of junior, all this talent coming in and um, you know, these past couple of years, all these guys, all three of them, they, they all seem to stick around. Whereas back in the day, it was like, all right, I'm going to take a goalie in the third round and bring them to camp. And um, you know, we're content with what we have, but I want somebody to take shots. The the competition coming out of junior a right now is so much more ready to be pros. And I think it could be even better if they got rid of the wooden stick and um, went to bigger nets. Um, but I mean, these guys are playing, a lot more lacrosse they're seeing better shots like the talent in junior a is incredible so like they are seeing really good shooters they're coming out and and guys are sticking you know or hopping in there right away and um and i think that's only testament to how hard these kids are working to to you know be pros they're not just showing up and thinking you know i'm pretty good junior a lacrosse goalie like these guys want to be pros and that's why they do a year of practice roster and they're like okay now i'm ready um you know, because they, they, they're earning it, they're working their butts off and they're taking a lot of shots. And um, you know, that's the key is, is you can't just expect anything in this league or any league or anything to just be handed to you. You have to go out and grab it. And a lot of these guys are, so I think that the talent pool that's out there, um, every team has um, you know, every team I know it believes in their goaltending can win that they can win them a championship. And that's uh, that's something that probably five six years ago, not many teams could do that. Uh,
0: you're obviously still going to be involved with the Swarm and the league in your new role, but and this is going to be the toughest question I ask you: um, What are you going to miss most
2: about being a pro lacrosse player? Um, you know, it, it, I'm sure the answer, the the simple answer that I'm sure everybody will give, and I'll, and I'll expand on it, is you know being in the locker room with the guys. Yeah. Um, obviously I'm going to miss that because I've always loved being one of the, you know, um, just a fun guy in the room. I love, you know, trying to be a good teammate and, and, you know, working with younger guys, but like part of it all, what ties it in is I love the structure of, of the weekend. Like, Hey, Friday, here's my flight. Once I land, I know minute by minute where I'm supposed to be, what I'm supposed to be doing. And I really enjoyed that. Like I liked Saturday morning, waking up, um strolling into grab a coffee uh going into the dressing room super early so that i could you know just hang out with the guys and have shoot around and then after shoot around we had court and after court we had lunch and then lunch then would go maybe get a little bit of work in and then and then get a nap and, like i love that structure of like sp- as, spending as much time with the guys and then and then playing the game um and then you know monday friday monday to friday and then we do it all again like that that Um, structured schedule I really enjoyed for me because it, you know, it it was just knowing where I was going to be. And, and, you know, you just told me where to go and I'll be there. And I knew I was going to be doing it with 15 other buddies of mine. So it was really cool.
0: Um, All right. Last one. What's the most egregious and biggest fine ever handed out in court? Oh man.
2: (laughs) Jordan Hall had a pretty good one this year, when he fined one of our players for, uh, for bringing his wife to court with, um, (laughs) it was, it was incredible. She like, cause we had, cause we have a uh, court right in the lunchroom and then we have lunch and, and, you know, he wasn't thinking, he just had his wife there and we ran court and she stuck around for lunch. So he find, you know, he got fined for that. And then every weekend after he'd fine him because she missed court. Uh, that was, a, <laughs> that was a great one. But one, another one that, that comes to mind is, um, a few years back, uh, you know, you, you could just whatever the fine is you bring it up and you, and you find a guy and I and, and mm. I swear. Oh yeah. So, so Crep and sack finds Liam Burns for losing his, uh, his t-shirt, like his shooter shirt. You let him mm-hmm. borrow it. Can't find it. And Liam's like, well, he gets fined for this. So he throws a flag. You can challenge. You get one challenge a year. So he throws a flag and he challenges it and says, I didn't lose your shirt. Like I got you your shirt back. If you lost, if it's gone, it's because you lost it. So they're like, you know, not seeing IDA and this will, well, now we need to have a trial. Yeah. So CREP uh, decided to represent himself. Um, Liam wisely hired, um, you know, consultation. So I represented Liam's case for him at, uh, in front of the judge, uh, Jordan Hall. And, uh, and we took it to trial and um, you know, the, the fines increase drastically when mm-hmm. you, when you bring all these resources and, you know, you, it, it's going to go up. So I forget at the end of the day fine was that Krep had to pay but it was not small um you know because he not only did he accuse liam of of mm-hmm. losing his shirt which he had no proof of mm-hmm. um liam for all we know as my as i argued had, aspira- had aspirations of being a dry cleaner and after, the- <laughs> after being falsely accused uh that dream is gone and and so it's it, uh he slandered his name. He ruined his dreams. Oh, and uh, so we we argued all that in court. Uh, we won. And uh, as you can probably imagine, where my uh. preparation was and where my mind was, Buffalo absolutely shit-kicked us that night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I won the court, but I lost the yeah. game. Yeah, that's
0: right. Hilarious. Uh, man, this has been awesome. I, like, over the years, Pooley, you've always – been so good to us here on the show and and whenever we chat it's just uh, an awesome conversation like i said off the top you're just one of the great men of our sport and it has been a true treasure to watch you hone your craft between the pipes and do what you do thank you for everything my man congratulations on an incredible career excited to see what you do next and and i have no doubt a, a gm tag is in your future
2: so uh, I appreciate everything, my man. Congrats, and uh, thanks for your time. Well, thank you. I really appreciate all the kind words, and, and I love our conversation. So anytime in the future, you let me know. Another fantastic chat with Mike
0: and Man, I we literally could have gone on for hours with him, and maybe one day he'll have his own podcast where he can ramble on for hours about the in and outs of Kangaroo Court, the in and outs of... Being a goaltender and letting people fire a ball 118 miles per hour at your face. It takes a special breed to be a goaltender. But when you break it all down, the nuts and bolts of it is see ball, stop ball. And when you're not stopping ball, you're spending time with your family and you're enjoying time away. And then when it's time, you just go back to war and you battle with your brothers And he did it week in and week out for 15-plus years and had an absolutely incredible career. And in the span of two years, after having no championships to his credit, he not only finally got that NLL title, he got a Man Cup championship, and he also got a world championship. And when you can have those three trophies on your mantle, and you can look up at him, and you could probably say, you know what, I had a pretty damn good career. And Mike Poolin had an absolutely incredible career. And it always happens when we get to these points when players retire. The question always gets asked, is he a Hall of Famer? And it's a tough question. You won a goalie of the year. He was an All-Pro. He won a championship. Is that enough? It was only one of each. You know, he's he's not putting up seven goal of the years like Vino. He's not putting up multiple titles like a Bob Watson. Not putting up multiple all pros like an Anthony Cosmo. But based on merit of just being an all-round good dude and a talented lacrosse player, I'd put him in. I don't think he, he probably isn't a first ballot guy. Obviously, depending on who is on the ballot when he gets put in in a couple years. Because there's still a ton of names that have to go in and we're still waiting for the last class to officially get put in. But I can 100% see Mike and being a Hall of Famer Five, six years. Would love to see it. And it would just be another feather in his cap. And I'm sure he would get fined by the kangaroo court for going in. For some reason. Whether it's too soon, too early, too late. His speech wasn't long enough. He didn't thank the right guys. He will get fined at some point for going into the Hall of Fame. And I'm here for it. The PLL, as I said, is heading to Seattle this weekend. And if you are in the area, you might want to get on down there, get yourself some tickets, and go watch some of the best outdoor players around. Check that. August 5th to 6th, they are in Denver this weekend. Single day tickets still on sale at premierlacrosse.com. And your schedule this week is a doozy. There are some really good games and all have standings and playoff implications. Woods, Cannons, Chrome, Chaos, Atlas, Water Dogs, Whip Snakes, Archers. Who's gonna get the wins? Who's gonna get the losses? More importantly, who's gonna win some money?
2: Time now for box bets. Your source for all the lines are from across the world of lacrosse brought to you by coolbet.com stay cool bet responsibly
1: <laughs> hey we're having a good day lads and
0: uh, we're still in the mix baby <laughs> it is the time for box bets last week we kind of struggled um but this week uh, patty's got a doozy for us I, I threw one out to pat and he's like oh i already got one done i'm like oh okay And it was a little different than mine, but we're getting a massive return on Pat's boost. So we got Chaos plus one and a half over the Chrome. Next, we've got the Dogs plus one and a half over Atlas. And then Whips, Archers, Over 23 and a half. Put it all together. It's a plus 765 for you this weekend here. On the box bets. But again, chaos and dogs don't got to win. They just got to be within one and a half. And then whips, archers over 23 and a half. There should be a crap ton of goals in that game. Put it all together plus 765 over at CoolBet.com. And if you want to go right to the lacrosse site, just go CoolBet.com slash CA slash sports slash lacrosse. Or, you know, when you're on the homepage, just find the lacrosse tab down the side and join up and play along. We give you a boosted parlay each and every week right here on the Off the Crossbar podcast. Thanks to our friends over at Cool Bet Canada. So, and again, it's not just lacrosse that's on there. There is pretty much every other sport that's going on, whether it be live betting on the the golf, whether you're watching baseball, whatever. Play along. Have some fun. Win some money with us and our friends over at Cool Bet. And as always... Stay cool and bet responsibly. That's pretty much it for this week here on the Off the Crossbar podcast. Um, Again, there was some major news in the world of the NLL with a new commissioner. The delayed of free agency. The announcement of, you know, still no finalization on a CBA. But let's hope by the time we talk next week, we got a lot of positives to talk about. Because there should be. There should be a lot of players moving around in free agency starting Saturday unless, unless they push the date back. And I'm knocking on wood, crossing my fingers, rubbing the lucky feet, whatever you do. I'm hoping that doesn't happen. Let's just keep our fingers crossed that we can get a deal done and we keep the momentum going forward. Keep this train moving. Wherever you want to sign, let's sign. Let's just have a wild and wacky free agent season. And let's make sure that by the time we get to November, camps can start on time and we can get this thing going. Under the guidance of our new commissioner Brett Fruit. Thanks to Brett, thanks to Mike, and thanks to you as always. My name is Teddy Jenner. You can find me on Twitter at Teddy Jenner. Pat is at P. Greggie, the Show at OTCB underscore Podcast. Or if you're on the Instas, check us out at OTCB Podcast. Enjoy the WLA, MSL, RML, BCJ. The road to the founders. The road to the pres. It is all underway we speak again, stay safe and be excellent to each other.